Welcome back, folks. This is Mark Steiner right here on The Mark Steiner Show on your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA, 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. Once again, joining us is Sean Gallagher, the IT editor at Ars Technica, who's been joining me in these conversations for many, many, many moons around technology and computers and digital world. Good to see you, Sean. Good to be back, Mark. It's been a fairly boring week for you, hasn't it? Oh, please. (laughs) It's been an interesting weekend and an interesting week, and it doesn't stop getting interesting. It's, you know, the Chinese curse me you live in interesting times. (laughs) The, uh, between... The, the the WannaCry malware uh, going amok over the weekend, starting on Friday, and the people who gave us the uh, exploit code that WannaCry is based on now piping back up again, saying, "Hey, we're here." This is the shadow brokers, the people who stole all the NSA tools that were they initially tried to auction off, and then they dumped. Uh, they're back again, apparently, based on a... Do you think they did this? I don't think they did this, um, <clears throat> simply because I don't think this was in their best interest. I mean, to be honest, this thing is not making anybody a whole lot of money. Actually, it's made about $70,000 for someone at this point with all the damage that it's done. And that's because... The the code, other than the exploit code, which was written by the NSA, uh, that was leaked out as a tool, the rest of the code is kind of shoddy. Uh, there were some things thrown in there that didn't work properly. There was some code in there that was supposed to randomly generate uh, specific Bitcoin f- wallets for each victim that did not work, and so it defaulted over to these three preset wallets. So first of all, a Bitcoin wallet is a digital address to send Bitcoin to. And Bitcoin is a digital currency. Is it real? It's it's a digital currency. Uh, it's a, it's what they call a cryptocurrency. Uh, it is a community currency based on a standard. And there is a limited amount of it because of the way it's constructed. And it allows for transfers and transactions between people uh, anonymously, which is why it's so big in the hacker world. It's also used by a lot of people who aren't in the hacker world just to do sort of anonymous transactions. And a lot of people speculate on it because it's a, it's like a currency. Uh, at one point, you used to be able to basically run what they called Bitcoin mining hardware, uh, hard computers that would create Bitcoins based on solving cryptographic problems. And it's gotten more and more difficult as time goes by. The algorithm has gotten to the point where it becomes more and more difficult as time goes by to create new Bitcoins. So there's a limited supply. And the way that they work is every time you do a transaction, it gets appended onto what's called a, uh, a blockchain that's associated with this bit of currency that tracks the transaction. So the, the currency itself carries with it the history of where it's been even though all the points along its path are anonymized. So you can verify whether it's a legitimate piece of currency by checking it against other databases of what they call the hashes to see to make sure it's work, it's real. So um, <clears throat> for, for odd reasons, it's become you know, a major <laughs> investment platform for people. A lot of people put money into Bitcoin, and the value of Bitcoins has gone up. That's crazy. Yeah. So because it's it's sort of a a it's the, it's the um, 
it's the universal language of, of currency, essentially. It sort of uh, you know, takes the place of uh, the dollar on the Internet. There have been a lot of other anonymous currencies in the past that were run by specific companies. This one doesn't have anybody associated with it. It's a central banker. So it's drawn a lot of interest that way. So coming back to the beginning here. So when this virus attacked this, this, this right. on, on Friday when right. it dropped, and now again Monday in China and some other places, it, it dropped as well earlier this week and this week. So it came out of the NSA. What I understand, I probably don't know don't, don't this, but it came out of the NSA. Uh, in the leaks that came out, the NSA developed it. People were angry at that for not telling industry that they had done this. People were angry at Microsoft because um, they didn't develop uh, any systems to, go, to, 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 to deal with this. And I mean, so what... What's the reality here? Okay, so a piece of it was developed, we believe, by NSA. Uh, there was an exploit, which is it basically a tool that allows you to get into Windows, in this case, uh, called Eternal Blue, which is a, it was a piece of a toolkit that NSA had that allowed them to connect to a computer remotely and push other things over onto that computer. It was basically set up to allow them to install back doors on other computers. And it goes after something called SMB, which is uh, a, a, a fi- it's a file server protocol. And for most of the Internet, for most computers, we don't, like, have the Internet open for doing file server connections. It's, it's not something you see that often. Um, sometimes people leave that open on computers that are, like, on the Internet for because they forgot to turn it off or they forgot to block it. But uh, for the most part, it's only something you see inside big networks. So it was something NSA developed to help move around internally on networks to get their code where they needed it to be to monitor an adversary. But when that toolkit became public, people were able to grab onto it. And, And Microsoft, we think, knew about it in advance. We knew they were going to be seeing this this released in advance because in February, Microsoft stopped development of whatever they're doing for patches on their Patch Tuesday, the day they ship out all of these updates to Windows and their other products. Mm-hmm. They they hold held off on a on a Patch Tuesday in February, and then in March they released fixes for all of these critical bugs that were then discovered to be part of the shadow brokers dump later that month. So uh, so we think the NSA tipped off Microsoft that there's going to be some bad news coming. Uh, we also think that they tipped off Oracle and some other people about the same thing. So NSA was holding on to these exploits to use them against adversaries, against people they wanted to get into the networks of and monitor them and okay. steal information. They didn't tell the vendors about them until they realized the tools were in the wild and they were not going to be able to get them back. Uh, They weren't going to go paying the shadow brokers money for it. So they just said, well, they're out there in the wild now. And they they bit the bullet and they told the the tech companies that had these openings in their hardware and software. Before the attacks came. Before the attacks came. So they knew they were coming. So they they, they they knew they could come. So Microsoft issued a patch for Windows. Uh, but many of the u- computers that are still vulnerable out there are running older versions of Windows that haven't been updated. 
reason China is so vulnerable. These are really old versions, like 16 years old, right? Uh, in many cases, yeah, w- uh, Windows XP and Windows Which 7. Which is ancient in the digital, in digital well, time. Yeah, so, yeah, that's very old, and then there's and also Windows 7 has mm-hmm. some vulnerabilities in it. But the, the thing about this is, is that because these operating systems are so mm-hmm. heavily embedded into so many organizations, and in China there's a very large number of pirated versions of Windows XP still being used. China tried to switch over to a version of Linux called Red Flag Linux about 10 years ago uh, to get away from Windows XP, and uh, it did not succeed. They ended up still with so many Windows machines that they had in, in their organizations, and also they were held by private organizations throughout China, uh, That and they're still there. They haven't gotten rid of it, um, and they're all pirated copies. There are, many of them are pirated copies, so they don't get patches from Microsoft, so there's no security updates to these things. So they're a big target for things like this. Uh, the National Health Service in the UK actually, I believe, stopped paying for updates on Windows XP at a certain point a few years ago because they had been paying for extended service on Windows XP, and they just sort of gave up on it, I think, because they had Windows XP embedded in a lot of equipment uh, that's associated with, med- with uh, medical applications that they, it was too expensive for them to replace it. So the question is, so, so the attacks seem to have died down some this week. Right. Um, Partially because, so, so what happened last week is, and to come back around a bit, so that, that, that exploit was attached to this crypto ransomware code, which is a, which is, encrypts the contents of your computer. It goes and finds files and encrypts them and it presents a message saying, give me your money. Um, that was slapped onto this along with some other code that actually installs a backdoor, uh, a, a, a way to remotely connect to the computer f- from a distance over the internet. Um, the reason it died down initially was because a researcher in the UK uh, who was poking around the code found that there was a web domain in the code and he, didn't know, he couldn't figure out what it was there for, but the domain hadn't been registered. So he, went, he registered the domain and put it, pointed it at a server to see if he could get any signals off of the malware. And it turned out to be a kill switch. It turned off the malware. So Friday afternoon, he managed to shut down the spread of, the, of, of, of WannaCry worldwide for a day or two because he was able to basically turn off the, the, all the code that was out there was looking for this domain, and if it was there... The, the code would stop. It was so we think it was there because it was there for debugging purposes. They wanted to make sure that they got the code working right. properly before they sent it out. So, so what does this say in a larger sense about about just the world of cybersecurity? I mean, these things keep popping up here and there, uh, but I mean, this is there's a this is like the I'm not sure everybody kind of realizes the depth of possibility for the attacks that can take place in the future or the potential of cyber warfare and what it can mean. It's a never-ending moving target. So you know, we spend a lot of time talking about what, what are, where, where vulnerabilities are, what needs to be fixed, making sure you patch software and things like that. But the fact is, is that because even when people find vulnerabilities, when researchers find problems before hackers do, there's always a window of opportunity for hackers 
to use those vulnerabilities to attack systems because there's a long lag between when that fix gets out, th when that fix is found and the fix gets out there. So, for example, you know, Microsoft issued this patch and alerted people that there's a critical vulnerability that needed to be fixed uh, in March. It is now May, and there are still several million computers, even though this isn't something, something that's supposed to be exposed to the internet, there are several million computers that scan as being vulnerable to this particular attack. So we haven't even seen the extent to which this malware could have gone. If it had not been stopped, it could have infected, uh, it, it hit something like 150, 200,000 computers. It could have hit two or three million computers. And it could have shut down systems that, you know, you know we don't even know what's running on those systems. You know, there's so many systems that have this particular software running on them that are embedded in things. Like Windows XP, for example, is in like some old uh, IV pumps. And I mean, that's because part of this had to do with attacking things in, in healthcare systems, not right. in hospitals, right? Right, right. So, so there was all this development around Windows in the last decade because as, as equipment became more digitized in hospitals, even before we had to have electronic and medical record systems, they were doing more and more with technology. I mean, to, to add smart – add intelligence to hospital equipment, and your, so for example, your MRI. MRI systems often run on software that was written on Windows XP. And you don't expect them to be connected to the Internet, but they're connected to a network. And what happens is – Which could be connected to right, the Internet. Right, which could be connected to the Internet. What, what has happened with ransomware is that – so we had an issue. We had an episode of ransomware here in Baltimore City about a year and a half ago uh, at uh, Union Memorial. Right. And they found their way in there by finding an exploit, a very old exploit, I should say, of a web server running at Union Memorial for customer for for customer billing, and they used that as a backdoor into the into the network, and used the the servers running in, in Union Memorial's data center to spread this crypto ransomware. And that wasn't something that anybody would have expected because it came in through a web server. How does it get to my client computer? Well, you're all on the same network. and There wasn't any segmentation of their network. The same thing can happen if somebody sent an email with a, with a, with a piece of, uh, with a fake document in it, say, for example, that was an invoice. And you open that up, and it actually is a, a document with a piece of malware in it that then connects to the internet and downloads the crypto ransomware, and installs it on your computer, and then it spreads through the hospital that way, or through any organization that way. So there's it, it, this is like the Dutch boy putting a finger in the dike. You know, you've got every time you put your finger in a hole, there are ten more popping <laughs> out, right? And it's, it's so you know, some people call it whack-a-mole. You know, basically every time I nail one problem. <laughs> It pops up someplace. The problem pops up someplace else. So, it's going to be a long fight. And 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 part of the reason is that we've built the way the way we've built technology is we've stacked stuff on top of stuff on top of stuff on top of stuff, and the very foundation is based on technology that is so old that uh, we don't know how many problems are in it. And the internet is not designed to handle in its current form to handle the security 
issues that we are having now. There are a, thing, a number of things that have been done to advance security on the Internet and to advance organizational security, and there are all these products that promise to have you know, artificial intelligence to look for malware and figure out how things behave and stop them before they get on your network. They all cost a lot of money, and they all require a great deal of skill to install properly, and most organizations don't have the manpower, the money, the skill to take care of these problems. And so if something like this were to spread even wider, uh, so for, say, for example, uh, in June, uh, Shadow Brokers drops a, a similar exploit for Windows 10, the most recent operating system mm -hmm. for Microsoft. If they drop an exploit for Windows 10 that allows them to write something, allows anyone to write something that is what we would call wormable, meaning turning it into an internet worm that finds its way across the internet, finding new targets on its own, which is essentially what this ransomware did. It, it spread itself. They didn't send an email to everybody who got it. It got loaded in one place and it just started spreading itself. Um, if they're able to do that with a more recent operating system and defeat current security settings, and it's something that's backward compatible to some degree, they could take out a much larger chunk of the internet. They could affect millions of people, maybe even billions of people, by attacking those systems and taking them offline. And really the only way to fight it is to, right now with, with crypto ransomware, is to back everything up and make have a backup copy so that if you get infected, you just delete your hard drive and you start over again. So before we conclude, is this done? Is there more to come? I think there's more to come. I think this isn't this hasn't run its course because now there are all these copycats out there who have gotten hold of this code and have said, oh, I see how this works. Somebody proved it for me. I know it'll spread. I got a little free time on my hands. I'll write up my own. And, and, so, and that's what's happened with a lot of crypto ransomware. Somebody else may decide, I'm going to run this as a service. And this is something that happens in crypto ransomware as well. Somebody writes a piece of ransomware code, and then they lease it out to people. And they say, here you go. This is, I'll run your command and control server for you. You pay me a chunk of whatever you get trying to distribute it, and, uh, and, and you go have at it, and you get a cut of whatever you pull in. And so there are all these other types of you know, criminal elements out there who saw this and saw it work. And the code is out there public for this exploit, exploit. And they can go grab it and they can add it to whatever they already have. Uh, there are other aspects. of the, Apparently, there was another version of malware running out there that nobody caught a few weeks ago that was, ironically, doing crypto, it was infecting computers to generate Bitcoin. <laughs> but no connection. With no connection. No, it was actually it was running. It was, it was a, actually it was a different digital currency, but it was essentially infecting computers with code that would then run uh, the the blockchain creation code to earn them money. So, very quickly, then, what should we look for next? Any notions? Oh well, um, I would say you know all bets are off uh, if. The next set of exploits that are made public by uh, shadow brokers is more modern stuff. And we don't know who shadow brokers are. We don't know who shadow brokers are. Uh, they claim to be American citizens. Um, there has been some speculation that they are the English-speaking people. Uh, there's also been some speculation that they are, they are working for the Russian intelligence, which would be ironic considering that 
Russia was one of the countries hardest hit by this ransomware. Um, this is sort of a scorched earth sort of thing. <laughs> you know, you really, once you set the fire, you don't know where it's going <clears> to <throat> stop. So, you know, I think that between that and, and also, you know, there's some speculation now that based on some of the code that was in, in, in WannaCry, that it was launched by the North Koreans because there's a piece of code in it that's similar to code, or it's identical to a piece of code that was in the software used to attack Sony. So this could be some wild way for Kim Jong-un to earn money, to, to <laughs> earn hard currency. I don't know, but it's, it's uh, you know, pay for his missile program with, with ransomware. Well, well, I know is that, Sean Gallagher, whatever happens next, you will not be bored. No. No, I will not be bored. <laughs> I will be. I, I will not have any problem uh, coming up with something to write about. Um, I do have an extremely high level of paranoia these days. I mean, I got an email from my insurance company the other day, and I thought I had been I had been owned. And no, it was in fact that my son had a car accident and that he had already put a claim in. And hadn't told me. Um, but it's really to the point now where I like I tell people don't click on anything that comes in your email. Just you know, make sure that you look at things very carefully because we just had that Google worm that went around not more than two weeks ago, right? So were, if everybody got an email that said, uh, your friend has sent you a Google Doc, click on this, and then it took all of your contacts out of your email and spread it further. And that, that affected a couple hundred thousand people. Um, and that was just – that was a, a lark for someone. That was, there was no – didn't do anything malicious other that we know of other than collect everybody's email addresses. So imagine if that had, like, infected your computer with something and spread to all your friends who you have in your mailbox. And for us, that would have been thousands and yeah, thousands yeah, and thousands was, of Yeah, people. exactly. So, Well, this is always – I always learned so much doing this with you, Sean. Sean Gallagher, IT editor of Arts Technica, once again coming in to help us uh, figure out what's happening in this mad world of uh, digital – Madness. Well, if you and need to untangle more, let me know. I will always call you first. <laughs> okay. to untangle more. Thank you. Sounds so much, Sean. Thanks. Good to see you. And remind you on the way uh, that uh, the Mark Stein Show is brought to you in part by MeQ Baltimore's Credit Union, offering a full range of financial services. MeQ Baltimore's Credit Union has been helping its members and its community prosper for 80 years. When you invest in yourself, MeQ invests in you. More information at www.mecu.com. Please stay with us. When we come back, we have an incredibly interesting interview with Roz Coffin and Andy Williams about a new play called King of Howard Street, about homelessness in Baltimore, written from the perspective of somebody who lived in those abandoned You don't want to miss it. We'll be right back 